listening to the Salt Churches podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. Yeah, and my wife and I will be doing this um, together, and sometimes we'll have guests as well about microchurches and what microchurches actually are, why they matter why we really believe that it's the next wave of church planting that's going to take place in the United States and North America. But honestly, it's just going to be awesome. We'll Facebook Live some of them, post all of them on our Salt Churches um, page as well, which you can check out as well, where you see lots of content from us, lots of stuff from us. Um, But we'll be talking about micro churches a ton over the next uh, few months just to give people context to what we're actually doing here in Southern California. Um, We're going to be putting it up on our Salt Churches podcast as well, which will be lots of fun. You can listen about microchurches in the car or whatever you're doing. But I'm excited to have guests. I'm excited to have people um, that have planted lots of churches, people that are just getting started, that are putting the wings on the plane as they're flying. Um, But here in the United States, I think we're going to see a massive surge of churches, what we call microchurches, being planted in homes all across the United States. Now, we came to this conclusion a while ago. We were in New York City um, there working for a church, and I was looking around the actual city that I was in. I was like, what would it take to actually see revival here in New York City? Now we're in Orange County. We're in the Los Angeles area. Um, We have a church in Colorado Springs as well. But what would it take in any of these new environments to actually see a tipping point of revival, to see something actually really change in the culture? And I looked at all the church buildings and all the programs that we were putting in place. And even in places like Orange County, where honestly, the mega church, this is kind of where it started. This is where like the big boys are. We have at least, you know, a baker's dozen of mega churches, like within 20 minutes of our house. So what I wanted to figure out is, okay, what's the best possible way to make disciples and to saturate an entire culture with the kingdom of heaven? And we really thought that if you could get a church in every home, if you could get a church in every apartment, if you could get a church in every coffee shop, every park, wherever you can possibly actually meet people, then you might actually be able to get these groups of families following Jesus together that could actually change and transform entire communities. I think the problem that we are consistently running into mentally is man, this is really expensive to see 5, 6, 7, 10, 20, 30, even 100 people get saved on a Sunday and then maybe not convert straight to discipleship, get baptized, repent, start following Jesus. What would it be like if, you know, we didn't invite people to church, but we went to them, we started making disciples, and then they ended up at the gathering because that's where their family just was. What if we didn't use the attractional model, which is honestly, I think in a lot of ways, destroyed the way that we do church in the United States. I think it's done good, but I think at some point in the next 20 to 30 years, it's going to hit a hard red line, especially with millennials and Gen Zers. And Gen Zers in our church, and we have a lot of them, don't even have Facebook profiles. They're not watching this right now. They don't care about this anymore. They think Facebook is for old ladies. And millennials... 
can go to a show anytime. They don't trust brands at all. They don't trust some huge brand over their life. What they want is that small niche real thing. They want real tangible presence of God. They want to see real transformation. And here's why I really think micro churches will transform the way church is done over the next 10 to 20 years. Think about the way your life has really changed. Let's say in the last 20 years. Think about the way that your life has actually transformed. It's been through relationships. You may have heard a thousand messages, a thousand messages by a thousand different pastors and preachers, which have all been excellent, have deposited something amazing in you. That's great. But I can guarantee you, you can immediately tell me five people in the last 10 years that have transformed your life for better or for worse. What we want to see with microchurches is families of God following Jesus together, actually transforming together. Microchurches isn't a new idea. I want that to be really, really clear. This idea is over 2,000 years old. People meeting in homes in the book of Acts was honestly just the most convenient way for people to gather together. And our mission as Salt Churches is to see a microchurch within 10 minutes or in every city in North America planted. We're not 100% settled on like, oh, it has to be a Salt Church or it has to be our brand. We want to see again Churches that are gathered together around Christ and Christ alone. He is the head of his church. Not necessarily around God's prophet or God's teacher or God's leader, but leadership. as much as leadership is important, we want to see Jesus as the head of his church again. And we think this happens really, really good. In fact, we're starting to see it take place, and it's been years in the making of just making disciples. And Jesus asks us in, in Matthew 28, no, he commands us in Matthew 28 to make disciples, right? So when I look at Matthew 28 and I see what Jesus says, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's an important statement because, okay, so Jesus is now saying he's in charge. So what are we going to do with the fact that Jesus is in charge? He tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded us to do. And he says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the new American standard, that lo. <laughs> I felt weird reading that out loud. Lo, I am with you always. I don't even actually know what that means. I guess it says, look, here, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us in our disciple making. And what we wanted to do with microchurches was find the very best possible way to make disciples. And what's the best way to make disciples that God set up before time even began, before we started recording history? What's the best way to make disciples? It's having and raising children in a home. I mean, really, if you're looking at the longest term possible um, discipleship process, I guess you could say, it really is raising kids. And when I looked at the church and I and I, I looked at the church that we have now, I'm thinking, okay, we want to make disciples. We want to make disciples the best way we possibly know how. And the best way God set up was through family, through raising kids. You're investing in them constantly. They're in your space. There's the uncomfortable moments, the good moments, the bad moments, the victories, the defeats, everything in between. What if church looked like that? What if church looked like an open door where you could discuss what's going on in your actual life, where you could act on following Jesus in real tangible life, not theoretically 
and not just sitting around philosophizing about how good Jesus actually is, not just listening passively to what someone has to say about how good Jesus is, but living it out in your daily life. We have something in our house called like the open fridge policy. And I believe it's why our fridge is always full because someone's always flipping eating out of my fridge. But I love it. I love that my guys can come over and make coffee and and make themselves food and not be worried about what I think or concerned about the things that are mine or theirs. I love that I came home the other day and two people from our church were passed out on my couch and I wasn't even home. I, I just, I love the reality of church, of what Jesus set up as his outpost of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I think that's what microchurches can really do. Imagine a world where a church that was loving Jesus together, eating together, breaking bread together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, devoting themselves to the word of God, following the Holy Spirit and how they do church. Imagine if there were, there were one of those 10 minutes away from every single person in the United States of America. The whole landscape would change. And that's why we called our church Salt Churches, really. Because we looked across the whole United States. We said 70% of people here think or say or claim to be Christian in one way, shape, or form. Don't you think this country would look really different if 70% of Americans were Bible-believing Christians, loving each other, following Jesus together, taking ground together, expanding the kingdom of heaven together in their workplaces, in their lives, in their families, raising their kids together. Don't you think our neighborhoods would look radically different? Our cities would look radically different if the church banded together and did that. Micro churches are a solution to so many of the problems that the institutional church is wrestling with right now. How do you deal with the poor in your neighborhood? How do you deal with widows and orphans? How do you deal with racial reconciliation? How do you deal with loving one another? How do you deal with actually walking out your life and walking away from sin and actually being saved from it, not just the consequences of your sin, but actually walking away from it? How do you deal with that? You have to do it in a prayerful community of love. You have to do it in a place where you can actually share your heart, a place where you can actually live out, where you can be challenged, where you can be lifted up, where people are in it with you for the long game. And that's what discipleship really looks like. If you look at the way Jesus did discipleship, it was the long game. Three years, constantly with these guys, eating together, drinking together, sleeping on the road together, sleeping in houses together, doing ministry together, meeting each other's families together, fishing together when they needed to, working out what to do with people together, peeing, pooping, bathing together, all the things together. They did it all together. And the reality is that so many of us want a programmed discipleship, but it has to be a real thing. And that can happen in micro churches. That can happen in this small scale group of people, 10 to 30 or 40 people, max, that continue to multiply, that continue to grow, that continue to expand just like a healthy family would. Microchurches will change the face of America in the next 20 to 30 years. I guarantee it. It's low overhead. People can have a job and run one. People are in community. It solves the whole small group problem. They're walking it out together. They're bonding together in family. When someone actually shows up and is invited to church, man, you'd be so surprised at their response to what they feel and what they see. Jesus said we'd be known for our lo- known as his disciples by our love for each other. When they walk into a church building now, when people walk into 
your church? Is that what they know and they feel? Some churches are great at it that are legacy churches. But I would say the structure itself isn't sound for the long term to see what Jesus wanted accomplished on the earth. There are only so many buildings. In places like Orange County, where there's 7 million people in Orange County, in places like L.A., where there's millions and millions of people, 10 to 12 million people, depending on who you're asking, there aren't enough buildings to contain the revival God wants to do, but there are enough dwellings, there are enough houses, there are enough coffee shops, there are enough businesses, there are enough corporations, there are enough law firms, there are enough houses and homes and places where people can be invited in, in groups that walk this out together. So all I wanted to say um, to wrap this up, um, and we'll be doing this every week, like I said, and it'll be fun because um, we'll we'll bring, bring Jess on board here, and she's like amazing and uh, fun to listen to, and she's going to get a lot more viewers anyways on her Facebook profile. But the reality is, as we bring on guests, as we continue to talk about microchurches over the next few weeks, um, as we continue to post podcasts of this on our Salt Churches um, podcast, which you can follow at any time, go to our saltchurches.com, go to our website, check it out, check out our page right here. You can find out more and more about it. We have a YouTube video that comes up right away when you type in microchurches. Um, what is a microchurch? Really, really well done video um, by one of our friends, John Frank. And I just um, I want to encourage you, think long and hard about the best possible way that you could make disciples and multiply disciples? Is it the way that we're doing church now? Or is God possibly leading the church as a whole in a brand new direction in North America? Hope you guys have an amazing day. And um, we'll be seeing you next week or whenever we decide to pop on and talk about microchurches. But this podcast will be up within the next few days. Hope you're having a good one. And I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.